He has risen. He has risen indeed. Nice. Good job. I really want to thank uh, whoever... Oh, man, my font's messed up. Oh, well. I want to thank whoever found that video, that uh, documentary style. That's exactly how it happens. <laughs> like, actual pictures and everything. Anyway. Well, happy Easter, everyone. It's good to be here. If you guys don't know who I am, my name is Matt Fisk, and my wife, Katie, and I serve in the uh, campus ministry. No. Yeah. Let's go. Shout out little campus ministry over here. Smatter. It's awesome. Big faith. It's awesome. I love the Peninsula Campus Ministry. We don't often get to worship with you guys, but we're so grateful to be here. Uh, my mother is also here, like my brother's mother is also <laughs> Same person. And uh, yeah, this, um, this service is 50% Fisk. So if you don't like us, so sorry. God will forgive you. That's what Easter's all about. Um, the uh, title of my lesson this morning, I couldn't resist, April Fools for Christ, because it's April Fools Day. And I'm sure like a million preachers in America are doing exactly the same thing, and I don't care. <laughs> I really don't. What I, what I love about even that video that we just watched, and uh, this entire holiday of Easter, that as disciples, we don't just celebrate the rising of Jesus from the dead once a year. We celebrate that should be every day, our entire lives. But I do love the reminder of what this one holiday of the year that we're supposed to focus on this brings us back to, which is the insanity of what is at the heart of our faith. It is a yearly call to remind ourselves of the ridiculous claim that drives the lives of everyone who claims to be a Christian. We are fooling ourselves if we don't at least acknowledge that this view, that this guy was dead and he didn't stay dead. If you don't think that's a little extreme, I don't think you realize what you believe. Easter's become a nice, safe, fun, egg-based, pastel-colored holiday for the whole family. There's even a bunny to make you feel better. Who does, not even a rabbit, a bunny. Who doesn't like bunnies? But what we believe is one of the most incredible, one of the most insane, one of the most foolish ideas ever presented to humanity. Think for just a second if this happened today. You turn on the news, or if any of you still watch the news or pull up something on your phone. Tonight's top story. The followers of a Jewish man named Josh, because that's what Jesus actually translates to, claim that he has risen from the dead. Many claim to have seen him in their homes as they walk along random places in the country. Joshua, of course, was executed three days ago by the authorities and has just been buried in a tomb outside the city. More at 11. How fast would you dismiss something like that? How quick would it just be like, and nope? You would think they're crazy. They're lunatics. They got a hold of some bad fish. We'd be like, we would put that in the same category as other things like maybe people that are convinced that the earth is flat or whatever it ends up being. 
some kind of some kind of claim. We're like, what are you talking about? And yet, that is what you believe if you claim to be a Christian. Not only do you believe it, not only do you believe that somebody who was executed, who stayed in a tomb, sealed up by soldiers for three days, came back from the the dead, but you believe he did it without medical attention, without CPR, like 2,000 years ago, and you believe it. This is crazy. If we don't acknowledge that, and we don't realize how not just crazy this claim is, then we will never really understand the incredibly faithful, radical life that we are called to live because of that claim. Because he didn't spontaneously came, come back to life. He rose because the power of God brought him back. And the implications of that are immense. Let's go ahead and let's turn our Bibles over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Can you guys hear me? Okay, cool. Making sure. There we go. Oh, man, my fonts don't work. Nope, that's not it. Back one. There we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 18. And this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. Yeah, in case you're wondering, that's a picture of Jesus running out, bursting out of the tomb. So, that's not just some random dude. It's Easter, it's Jesus, come on guys. Verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Literally foolishness is where we get the word moron. That's literally what the Greek word there is. It is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us, who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of the world, or wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. But we teach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And we'll pause there for a little bit. My first point for you this morning, this looked way cooler when I made it, but that's okay. Oh, it hurts. <laughs> it hurts. <laughs> First point, I got two points for you this morning. We are fools for believing. We are fools for believing. Since I was uh, in college, th- this one little passage, or this one part here, the, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. That's always stuck out to me. As a campus minister, that continues to sta- stand out to me because I literally spend all of my days in places of higher learning where people claim 
to have higher intelligence, higher wisdom, and that can see through to all the governing dynamics of the world to understand what's really going on. And I'm a moron. That's what happens when you go on campus to preach Jesus. Who does this message frustrate? The intelligent and the wise. Not that you have to be dumb to accept the gospel, but it means that this message has no benefit when you look at it from a worldly point of view. And this is what Paul ran into when he was preaching it to the Gentiles. It says to the Gentiles, this is foolishness. You know Paul ran into that. He was literally talking to people in Athens, the great philosophers of the day, in the great centers of learning. You know that they said some just mean stuff to him. Just like petty, petty things. Calling, this is foolishness. Why? Well, because think about it. Philosophers and wise men back in those days, they didn't have the message of Jesus around them all the time. What did they hear about gods? Well, that their gods were bigger and stronger and living on mountains. Gods were immortal. So literally, Paul shows up and here's his message. Our God came to earth, died on a cross for our sins, and came back from the dead for you. And they're all going, are you saying your God died? Are you saying your God somehow died? Not only just died, wasn't killed by another God. Are you saying that people killed your God? Your God is weak. Your God is lame. Why would I want to listen to a God who couldn't even stay immortal? Why would I want to listen to a God that even that can't gets killed by people? That's a puny God. This message will frustrate and anger you if you're looking to understand it from a human point of view. People are looking for ways to live and not to die. We want the strongest protection, not the weakest. If you've ever like shopped for like home security or even just like a padlock, no one shows up and goes, hey, can you give me your weakest padlock? <laughs> I would like the very worst in home protection. <laughs> can I get the cheapest discount? We'll let most of the viruses in for my computer. No one asked for that. We want the strongest. We want the best. We want the immortal. And this is why we are fools if we believe this message to the rest of the world. The resurrection tells us, and we believe this, that nothing is dead in the hands of God. Nothing is dead in the hands of God. In our world, we're so quick to dismiss things as dead. My, uh, my sister-in-law for, for Christmas, she dropped her phone like down some stairs. And uh, she was like freaking out because she wanted to get it replaced and she had to go back to Radford where she goes. I took, she goes, Matt, you know about phones. Is my phone messed up forever? Do I got to get it replaced? I looked at it. This thing was shattered. It looked like snow was coming down on the screen. It looked like a music video with the, the stuff going on. It was so bad. I'm like, yeah, that thing is dead. You best get another one. She spent like four hours, four hours trying to uh, find somebody to, to sell, them, sell her uh, their phone for cheap on OfferUp. And uh, turns out what she just ended up doing after she could find no one to sell them her phone or sell her uh, their phone, she just went to the mall. They fixed it in like 15 minutes. I thought it was dead 
And they're just like, oh, 15 minutes, there you go. It costs 100 bucks, but still, 15 minutes, it was fine. We think stuff, it's, we're so quick to dismiss and move on and things, if we think things are dead. But nothing is dead in the hands of God. Not even a dead man is dead in the hands of God. In the hands of God, nothing is hopeless. In the hands of God, nothing is impossible. In the hands of God, nothing is final. But for most of us, we think, oh, my marriage is going through a hard time. What the world will say is end it. Separate. Give up. It's dead. In fact, you know what? The idea of marriage is dead. Give up. Move on. Find someone else who makes you happy. You take a look at your finances. Maybe some of us in here, your finances are a dead situation. You're like, what? what in the world do I do? The world will tell you, put everything towards making as much money as you possibly can. Get a second job. Get a third job if you need it. Don't give that money to anyone else. Look out for number one. You keep that. You make sure your retirement count, that you have a nice nest egg. So when you turn 65, you can do whatever you want. Some of us, maybe we feel our love life might be dead. The world will tell you, ah, okay, you know what? This is how you fix that. Tinder, there's an app for that. Talk to that pretty girl who gives you attention. Text that guy, that funny guy back who's in shape, who really gets you. Some of us feel like our lives, what's the point of my life right now? This is all the wisdom of the world. I feel dead, I feel empty, I go to my job from 9 to 5, and I hate what I ha feel like when I come home. I don't know what my purpose is, but I know it's not making and selling widgets, whatever it ends up being for you. The world will say, you know what, find something that makes you happy. But you don't even know what makes you happy. You might know what makes you happy for 5 minutes, but not further. This is all the wisdom of the world, and we're trying to do CPR on things in our lives that we feel like are dead. But even if you were to find the perfect job, the perfect house, the perfect guy, the perfect girl, the perfect purpose, everything, if it's not in the hands of God, it is going to die someday. Because, except for Jesus, everybody's heart stops beating someday. And the second your heart stops beating is the second that whatever your perfect is stops mattering. We can try counseling, we can try medication, we can try self-help and Google. But ultimately, we still end up dead because only God can bring back to life something that is truly dead. But we believe that nothing in the hands of God is dead. Is that what your faith is this morning? If at the center of your faith, you believe that a dead man did not stay dead, but you have given up hope for things in your life, and you stopped giving your life and obeying the commands of Jesus, well then maybe you don't believe the other stuff. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I believe that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Well, if you've given up hope, and stopped obeying the commands of God. No, you don't. You do not believe that Jesus came back from the dead because that is infinitely harder, infinitely harder than fixing your marriage. That is infinitely harder than finding you the purpose in your life. That is infinitely harder than helping you grow and change in your character. 
Stop being selfless or selfish. Getting out of your impurity. But if we say, I believe, but then we don't obey God's command, what are we doing? We are just April fooling ourselves. What I love is that I feel like, and, and sometimes we miss this, do you realize that in the church of God, we are literally surrounded by miracles and proof that nothing that's in God's hand stays dead? This is my buddy, John Chikinis. He put this on my iPad when he thought I wasn't looking. So I was like, you know what, I'll go ahead and show this to the church. Um, I'm kidding. I'm gonna, that's the picture I'll have you look at. And uh, yeah, that's John. That's Rachel Arnold. She's not John. Uh, she actually is in the full-time ministry up in Hershey. She's part of a campus ministry. But let me tell you about my buddy John. John Chikinis. Um, I knew John Chikinis back. He's been. He grew up in a, down in the in Virginia Beach. In the was in the teen ministry there. Went to teen camp after teen camp. I actually didn't know his name. I would go to teen camps. I was a counselor there, and I'd know him, but I didn't know his name. I knew him as Chest Bump Kid, because he would literally just go around and just, the only words he would say, Chest Bump, and he'd just give you a Chest Bump, and Chest Bump. Like, didn't matter what was going on, we'd be in the middle of church, Chest, chest Bump? Oh, sure, Chest We're playing basketball, Chest Bump. And I'm like, sure, fine, whatever. But that, that was this guy. He got baptized out in Virginia Beach when he was a teen, and then he moved to Hawaii. Things were okay. When... When he uh, moved from Virginia Beach to Hawaii, his faith was all right, going through normal teen struggles. But when he got out to Hawaii, the pull of the world was just too much. Worldly friends, worldly people around him at all times. John got heavily involved in the drug scene. John cashed out on his relationship with God and said, God doesn't have anything to offer me. I'm going to live for me. I'm going to live the way I want to live. According to John, and he said this publicly, so, and I've asked him, he doesn't mind me sharing this, he's done just about every drug known to mankind. The soft stuff to the hard stuff. And all of it was to self-medicate pain from his past, pain from his childhood, pain from relationships that he felt were empty and shallow. And he was lost in that, in that cycle. He's told me many times of how it was just, I, I, I woke up and I would become intoxicated by whatever means were available to me with the goal to not spend any time of his life in pain because everything else was just way too painful. Conversations with his parents, conversations with friends. He couldn't approach God because even that was too painful, so back to self-medicating. John moved back to Virginia and within a couple weeks of moving here, he ended up in a deal gone bad. And he was arrested and put in prison for several months. And in that time, John in his life was dangerously close to becoming a statistic. Anybody who looks at that situation and you go, that's dead. That is hopeless. Gone. He's down the path that millions have gone down of immaturity, self-medication, Intoxication, no, and, and no ability to really take ownership or accountability for his life, his mistakes, his problems. He was dead. And now in jail. All right, that's a statistic right there. I don't know what the percentage is. I don't know what the statistic is, but there he is. 
But in the hands of God, nothing is dead. John got out of prison. John began to come back out and study the Bible. And as we dug down into what really went on, he realized I've been going to anything that will make me feel good for a minute or for an hour or for a couple hours to make me feel good. When really all the guilt, all the pain, all the struggle that I've been looking for or that I've been looking to heal, I can find healing and not just move the pain around a little bit. I can find healing in Jesus. So I will live for him. Not only am I going to read my Bible, but I'm going to do what it says. Rather than reach for a substance, I'm going to reach up in prayer. I will surround myself with people trying to live in a pure way. I'm not going to spend my Fridays in a bar. I'm going to spend my Fridays with people that are trying to live this out. And most importantly, I will give every inch of me to God. John got restored last year and has not touched anything for over a year now. That's like one story. And that's like the, like the very abridged version. John was dead. God brought him back to life. What is dead in your life? And have you really put it in God's hands? And by the way, that doesn't mean I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to pray on it. And then I'm going to just forget and do whatever I feel like in that situation. That is not putting it in God's hands. Putting it in God's hands means living according to his word. Giving him authority over the parts of your life that you think are dead right now. It means following the instructions that he gives us in the Bible. If you're visiting with us today, we're begging you, study the Bible with whoever brought you, whoever invited you out. Study the Bible and find out what those instructions really are. And I guarantee you, God will bring back things in your life that you think are dead. If you think you're a disciple in this room this morning, ask yourself, are, the de- are there dead things in my life? Are they in my hands or are they in God's hands? You think that we're foolish for believing this, or the world will think we're foolish for believing this, but nothing is dead in God's hands. That's my first point. And my second point is we are fools living for another life. Again, I'm so sorry. That looked way better when I did it. If you don't believe me, I'll come and show you. I could stop the sermon at this point, and some of you might just be hungry enough to say like, yeah, do that. Stop right now. I'm going to go get some food. But I can't, so you just have to wait a few more minutes. It's going to be fine. You'll be okay. If I stopped there, you may get the impression that the best part of Easter and the best part of the resurrection is found here in this life and an improved life here right now. That God can make you 30% happier. There is always hope in God. You can always find strength in Him. The night is never too dark. Maybe that's, what you're, that's, maybe that's what you showed up for this morning, hoping that that would be the case. And I said, I, you know, even by saying that, I sound like a cheesy Instagram page. Here's what makes us look truly like fools and capable of living the radical life of boldness is that we are fools living for another life. We're staying in 1 Corinthians. Let's go to the end of the book, 1 Corinthians 15. Y'all still with me? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 18. Is that right? What did I say? Oh, 
Yeah, that's right. Sorry, I'm looking wrong. 42. Like, that is not correct. 42. Thank you. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body and it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, Jesus, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, Adam. The second man is of heaven, Jesus. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. That's us and physical as physical people. So are, um, and, and as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. Just for a second, realize that you are destined as a disciple of Jesus, that one day you will bear the image, not more of Adam, but of Jesus. You might have to like raise your expectations of yourself. But we go on. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable, meaning you can't stay as you are without resurrection and inherit a godly kingdom. But listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with the immora- er, with immortality. Not immorality, definitely not immorality. <laughs> and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has become clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus conquered death, y'all. The one fear at the heart of every person, of every society, is death. It's the one thing that affects every person. The greatest people and the smallest people. The smartest and the dumbest. The richest and the poorest. The most athletic. The most need to get in shape. Everybody. It doesn't matter what you got going on for you in this life. Your heart stops beating and you are done. And in Easter, we remember that death is not a problem for disciples. Because we don't care about this world. We don't care about this life. All of this, everything you work for here, everything you value, everything you are is perishable on this earth. I don't care how nice your car is, it's going to burn someday. I don't care how much is in your retirement account, it's going to burn. I don't care what your gamer score is. I don't care how many Instagram followers you have. I don't care how many, how, how happy you feel like you are in, in a moment of your life. It's all perishable. 
It will all die. It is already spoiling. And you know it, and you feel it. Some of us wish some of that stuff would go away. Like college students, like, I wish some of my grades would go away. <laughs> spoil faster. Our credit score, spoil faster, get better. <laughs> but Jesus shows us that he rose, but he didn't rise as a zombie from different movies that like looks all creepy and is walking dead all over the place with rotting flesh. You're like, ugh, you could have stayed dead. He, ra- he rose and he was a heavenly body. That's the same. By the way, that's what's going to happen to you someday. God's going to raise you up and you have a heavenly body. Just as Jesus did himself. Something eternal. Something that cannot be destroyed. And here's the amazing part. Is that Jesus' resurrection reminds us that one day God will put everything right and restore all things. Just for a second, think about this with me. One day when God puts everything right in the next life. You will not have to pay bills anymore. One day, when God puts everything right, we will no longer have to have food banks and charities to take care of the poor. Because we will look to God, and He'll take care of all the needs for everyone. One day, graveyards will be completely useless. There will be no need for that. No need for health insurance. No need for life insurance. One day, we won't have to wonder if there are corrupt CEOs and dictators and drug lords and sex traffickers that are going without justice. One day, we won't have to see doctors. One day, there will be no need for juries to bring justice. And even then, the imperfect justice that our system gives, there'll be no need for that because we'll have the perfect judge to give justice. One day the bars will be empty because the better thing will be outside and you look up and there's Jesus and that feels better than anything you could ever drink. One day we won't need to have to pray. We're going to look up. We will talk to him completely and he will know us completely. One day there will be no need to march to correct injustices in society because all the injustices will be taken care of by our God. That's what it's going to be. One day it will be as it should be. Because he rose and he is coming back. But here's the question. Are you living for that day? Or are you more excited about something that's going to come before that? You shouldn't be more excited about your graduation day. Or your wedding day. Or the day that you retire, or the day that you get out of debt, or the day that someone finally tells you, I love you, and they mean it, or the day you get reconciled with your parents, that day will pale in comparison to the day that God will put everything as it should be. Verse 50 in this, it says, look, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. We can't live for this life and the next one at the same time. You can't be storing up treasure in heaven and trying to do it on earth at the same time. One of them is going to lose equity. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 9. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Not protect it with everything you got and be the most attractive Christian with it all together. In the eyes of the world, so that you gain respect of outsiders and 
you know, and also, by the way, putting your treasure in heaven. No, in fact, he says the opposite. It's very difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom. In fact, I'm pretty sure there's something about it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Am I making that up? No, that's in the Bible, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Making sure. You can't live for this life and the next. As a church, we just finished a campaign about boldness. And it was awesome, wasn't it? We studied the book of Acts and we're inspired by the first century church's life and their boldness. How did they do all that? I'm convinced that because of what God had shown them in the resurrection, they no longer worried about what would happen in this life. They believed that in a twinkling of an eye, that they would be changed into something better, even if they were brutally tortured and executed for the gospel. Because he rose. What should have kept Jesus dead should have swallowed him up. But you know what? Death has been swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Well, it ain't here. There's no place here. Even the worst things that happen in our life, the threat of death, is actually a best case scenario for disciples. But is that the priority of treasure in your life? What are you more excited about? Your friends and your family that don't understand this, that are not disciples. People that don't know you that are not disciples, they will tell you you're being foolish. They will tell you you're an idiot with your finances. They will tell you, you got to grab hold of love and never let it go. And you, you find you hold that person tight. doesn't matter what's going on. People will tell you to hold on to that stuff. And disciples go, you know what? Even if I lose everything here, if I lose my friends, if I lose my family, if I lose my money, if I lose my possessions, I lose my house and I die alone in a field, that I will live with Jesus forever. Are you more living for this life or are you more living for the next one? Because on today of all days, Easter should remind you that there's something way better coming than what we got here. Are you with me? And that is what drives us to be bold. The other day I was on campus and there was a fundraiser going on. It was called a walk a mile in her shoes. And what it is, they're raising money for um, to, to awareness for uh, domestic abuse. Great cause. And when, at, over at Old Dominion, uh, Old Dominion University, they had a, like every football player out there. It was like a whole team. And I'm looking up there, and we're in the middle of this boldness campaign. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds about right. Because <laughs> I'm like, I got to say something to somebody. And I'm like doing laps around the football team. Like looking at them, like, who am I going to talk to? Because I know I need to help them see about the next life. They need, they need to know about Jesus. But I don't want to do it because all of them are huge and probably could eat me. They have eight inches on me, a lot of them, and they have a hundred pounds on me in other cases. And so I'm like, nope. I'm like doing my two-step, you know. I'm thinking about it. I'm talking myself in and out of it. And here's what's really funny. We want to live this bold life for Jesus. But what I did was I started to try to like do that based on my own strength. I was like, okay, all right, here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say this. I'm going to go in really confident. I'm going to be like, y'all play football, huh? It's like, all right, maybe something really funny. And 
And I'm like, I have no in with this. My only in with football players is that I watch football and I was in marching band, which is kind of like a minus for football players. I said, that's not helping me connect with anybody. And that was lap one through four around these football players. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Well, you got to go and you got you to gotta be bold so all your campus students will see that you're bold. And then don't you want to share good news about this? And I'm like, I really don't. No, I don't. I don't want to do this. No, I, and I don't want to die. They're going to kill. And I'm thinking about all this stuff, my reputation on campus. What if I mess up? What if I screw this up? And you know that, so it didn't do anything to help me be more bold in the way I needed to be bold. And then I just remembered the sermon that was a couple days before, which is all about who cares about how you feel about your boldness. Remember that God goes before you. God is trying to get out. God is going to find someone to spread his message. And if it's not you, then he'll find someone else. Stop living for this life, Matt. If they pop you one right in front of, like, in front of everybody, if they kill you, you're a martyr and you're going home. That's the way, that's the way you want to go out. What are you doing here? Beat up by a football player to death for the gospel. And so with that, I'm like, all right, you know what? I'm going to pray in my cowardice, in my weakness. I'm like, God, you're going to have to do something. So I go in and find the biggest group of football players. It had to be all the offensive linemen. A bunch of big white dudes with beards that were about 300-something pounds, about six foot seven, all of them. And I kind of like press myself in and I'm like... And then my voice cracks. <laughs> I'm like, this is not going well. <laughs> Hi! <laughs> Hi! <laughs> my name's Matt. I'm a campus minister here. There had to be 80-something football players. The baseball team was out, too. Of all the people that I run into, turns out the one guy that's in the middle is the guy that already runs Bible talks and devotionals for the football team. That sounds like God to me. <laughs> so I go in, I'm like, we start talking. I get his phone number. Pray for this. I'm, getting, uh, I'm meeting up with him next week about me actually going and getting into the football team and doing devotionals with them, which is cool. Pray for that. But it can't be, if you think about this life, you'll never do anything bold for the next one. I have so many stories about this. I, I, it's awesome. I'm so fired up. Marjan got baptized a couple weeks ago. What I love about Marjan, Marjan is such an, a statement of faith because Marjan, every step while she was studying the Bible, was opposed by family. That was so difficult for her. It would have been so much easier for her to just go along with what her family was saying, which in, it was like, you know, 80% just right on the money. They're incredibly like trying to be faithful people, but it would have been so much easier for her for this life to just let it go, let it ride. And yet every time she studied the Bible and found something that she needed to talk about with them, she went back and discussed it with them. We studied the Bible the other day over Skype with her boyfriend that's back in Istanbul, Kianush. It would be so much easier for her to just enjoy this right now, but she is thinking about the next life. And what it has to be is that I've got to put up treasure in heaven. For that, and I'm inspired by her, but I know we got a room full of that. Ask yourself, are you living for this life or the next life? Would anybody call you foolish for your priorities? Because when you understand how awesome the next life is, we would be foolish to live for this one. My final challenge as I wrap up here. Again, that looked way better. 
we find at the end of the passage that we just read, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. It says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing, not bills, not family, not friends, not attention from guys or girls, not trouble or persecution, not sadness, not mental health, not physical health, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Not to the work of this life, but to the work of the Lord. Why? Because that keeps going. All your money, you'll lose it. All your health, you'll lose it. Your friends, you all will die someday. The one thing that will go on is your soul and the souls of anyone else that's going to heaven with us. Ask yourself, are you giving yourself fully to the work of the Lord? Special missions, contributions coming up. Have you written that off? It's like, yeah, I'll do that next year when I'm in a better financial situation. I got a bunch of campus students that literally have nothing. And this Friday, we're going to be playing volleyball for 24 hours to raise money for special. Every dime of it's going. We're trying to raise $5,000 as a campus ministry. I don't know how we're going to do it. They ain't got no money. They're trying to give themselves fully to the work of the Lord. For us, maybe it just means asking your friends, your family, your co-workers, your classmates, your neighbors. Just asking them the simple question, would you like to study the Bible with me? And give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord. And for all of you guys that are in here that are studying the Bible, we're so glad you're with us. Thanks for visiting with us on Easter. Study the Bible with us. Somebody's going to ask you, say yes. Just say yes. You are never going to regret coming to know God more clearly. Everyone will think that you're foolish for believing this. Everyone will think you're crazy for living for the next life and not this one. But when we consider what we've seen and heard, we know that Christ is risen. And we would be foolish to not live for Him. Amen. Amen.